Future Friday. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Future Friday with Hamish Hallett and John Beasy. Uh, for this week, we are speaking about the future of policing. So as you may know, policing is a very hostile kind of topic to kind of talk about, um, especially uh, what is going on in this day and age with, you know, protests about Black Lives Matter, um, where we actually made a statement last week about that. So if you want to know about our statement about Black Lives Matter, go to last week's episode on that. Um, but yeah, no, policing is a very, quite right now, it's been heavily talked about. So ideas of, you know, reforming the police, defunding the police even, and maybe even have questions about, do we need a police at all? You know, that's a very wild question for some people, but those are ideas that are coming about recently. Um, but yeah, so I think this is a very going to be a very interesting topic to kind of talk about for today and for our episode. So um, yeah, John, I just want to ask kind of, what is kind of the current state of uh, policing right now? Well, we have these, um, I don't know, I would say police are kind of have this adversarial um, urban warfare kind of relationship where they're stewards of the law then they have to enforce the law, but they don't have a ton of, um, of oversight and they're, you know, this kind of that idea of serve and protect, but it's always a question of serve and protect who they don't yeah. specify. Um, you know, there's no article in that. Um, there's no, what was it? There's no indirect object in that s- sentence. That's the thing. I kind of, I kind of agree to that statement from you saying that because it's, because it's like, yeah. um, like a lot of police departments, like one police isn't, um, they haven't existed forever. They're relatively a new phenomenon that, you know, they've emerged in the last two centuries, pretty much. How come, how come do you think it's a new uh, phenomenon? Do you think? Well, cause it changes and it depends on structures in, um, you know, how other things have changed and what other kind of relationships they're trying to do. Um, like a lot of policing, in the United States emerges in the reconstruction era and progressive era, you know, after the abolition of slavery Mm -hmm. to, you know, different ways of controlling, you know, racialized peoples, you know, once you can't explicitly control them as your property, you have to, you know, subjugate them a different way. Or in, you know, in many European countries, they are specifically formed um, to quell labor unrest, to deal with unions in Canada, in particular, the, like uh, the precursors to the the Mounties, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, are as the Northwest Mounted Police, which is primarily charged with um, you know bringing Canadian law and order to the territories and you know uh, settling the West and mm. its relationship um, with Indigenous peoples. Yeah. So, so it's usually that. always like one group of. It's always. Um, you know, it's, it's a group tasked with a monopoly of violence, but it's usually in service of one group over another. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I know what you mean, actually, by that. Definitely. It's always, um, it seems that the idea of the police, yeah, it's always kind of changing, always, in terms of its, its historicalness. Because, yeah, what you mentioned about the US, I watched a very interesting documentary, um, which I actually recommend anyone to watch, uh, called 13th. Um, John, I don't know if you have you heard of Thirteenth before. I think you mentioned it once before, but I haven't yeah. seen it. So yeah, it's pretty much it. Kind of talks about the relationship of the police um, a little bit. 
So it kind of spoke about the 13th Amendment is pretty much in the United States is basically saying, you know, treating kind of, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's pretty much treating those like use like use of freedom. So you can't be like be under treated under slavery, for example. I think that's what the actual amendment is. Um, unless you are a criminal. So that's what Oh yes. That's whole yes. sub yeah, exactly. So it's that little kind of thing there. So basically what you kind of explained with the whole police um situation was yeah, it's the fact like then police were there to kind of look over um, you know, African Americans during you know, reconstruction. And some of these um, you know, these people were kind of sent to jail or sent at the time to these kind of prison labor camps, um, you know, to for like crimes which are so like like pedious, uh, very, very like um low crimes, let's say. Um, I don't know what I can't remember the specific crimes they like outlined, what they were like sent for. They were very like very low crimes, not very that um great a deal. Let's just say that. And let's say, I don't know, at the time, if a white person did that as a crime, I don't think they'd be sent to prison. As it was someone who was black, they were sent for prison to do that. So yeah, I think what you've mentioned was very clever um, in that. It shows that historicalness in the United States and also what you've shown in Canada as well. So it does seem then that policing does have a historical edge to it. Um, yeah, seems. Definitely. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday um, and it was discussing how police, um, how in the United States, um, before um, the Civil War, slaves, you know, if they committed crimes, they didn't really go to prison because they were the property of a, of a purse of a slave owner. Mm -hmm. And it's not profitable for the slave owner to have their property be, you know, sequestered. So, you know, they just, you know, keep working mm -hmm. prisons yeah. at that time were largely left for, for, for white people. But once you have, um, the emancipation of slaves and now they have to be treated as, as free men. Now they've, you start getting, um, change, you know, increases in what, you know, and change and expansions, to the definition of what constitutes as a crime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Like we get a lot and we still see a lot of that today. Like a lot of many laws um, that criminalize poverty, mm. you know, like, um, like vagrancy laws, squatting laws, um, you know, when cities put up park benches that don't allow people to, you know, sleep on them or making it a crime to, you know, rummage through garbage to find food. Wow. Like depending on where you are, those are, you know, different laws, laws there. Yeah. which oh. are essentially just, you know, inf um, you know, criminalizations of poverty mm, and criminalization exactly. of mental health issues. It's not yeah. giving people the services they need, but it's rather funneling them into, uh, you know, a prison system that mm -hmm. doesn't rehabilitate or help them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting you put that out there, like in terms of certain crimes, um, yeah, and that's it's also a very interesting statistic I found was in the United States they represent I think thirteen percent of the population, but they commit forty percent of the uh, drug crimes, which is is such a huge disproportion. But of course, it might be down to the laws within certain states that um, looks down upon. And also within that same documentary I watched, it was talking about the war war on drugs as well, which was interesting as well, like looking at how there's this disparity between crack, cocaine, and just, co well, it's like crack and cocaine, 
so powder cocaine and crack. I can't remember the exact why they're doing the, the, the distinction, but yeah, they were like talking about that as well, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, because crack is primarily used by um, by poor black communities. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. powder cocaine is as the Classic. more expensive uh, white people stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what kind of shows it, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But, um, in the United States. Um, it also comes down to, it's not also just a matter of what's uh, the law, but it's also just a matter of how the law is enforced. Because mm-hmm. in the United States, you know, um, for, you know, drug possession crimes, you know, um, black people are three times more likely to be, um, to be arrested for that mm. than white people, which doesn't really, now, you know, that's coming down to the specific whether, you know, the specific discretion of the officer. Yeah. No, it's definitely true. And also, um, you know, like with stop and search as well. So in the UK, we've got a bit, bit of an issue with stop and search as well. Mm-hmm. So for example, in 2019, um, it, I think this was from an interview. So I don't know, I'll, I'll explain this case a bit later on, maybe when it comes up. But um, so in 2019, um, the figures showed in terms of like stop and searches, that there were more black people being stopped and searched than white people, despite black people making up 12% of London's population and white people 59%. So again, it shows that disparity and it shows that, you know, police officers potentially might have these, these well, not even potentially, maybe do have these racial biases mm-hmm. in terms of how they address certain crimes more and more. So yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Um, and this kind of leads, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was going to go, no, actually, no, go ahead. Go ahead with your. I was just going to say, um, yeah, I think this is largely stems from the, um, Maybe these kind of police cultures when they're detached from communities where they have to, you know, govern and rule over communities, but they're not necessarily acting like they're a part of them. Yeah. And when they're um, in that kind of the idea of being, um, you know, that you're the, the blue line that holds back the lawless hordes that you maintain the order in society, you know, it can be a power trip. Yeah. Yeah, it's the famous. Uh, oh, we're going to we're going to claim law and order. Mm-hmm. But and there's all sorts of different, um, you know, connotations with you know what kind of happens when you say things like you know we want to save off the the lawless hordes. You know what yeah. what do you mean when you say that? Who are you talking about? Mm. It's interesting, yeah, because um, yeah, exactly. It's uh, who you who are who are you installing law and order for? for? Mm-hmm. Are you installing law and order for? you know, the, the upper privileged white individual or is it for everyone, you know? Who's so law and who's order? Yeah, exactly. It's the whole questions around that. Um, I, think we're gonna, I think this is going to be a good time to like ask this kind of question. Um, you've probably been seeing through the news this question of, you know, defunding the police or reforming slash disbanding the police. So, yeah, should we kind of consider these kind of ideas? I would say so. It, yeah. Um, well, in terms of defunding, well, if you're not going to defund or at least maintain pri- um, funding, then the only way it's going, well, the only way direction to go is up. And you know, we, why do you necessarily need to be spending more and more on police, especially in the United States, when they're you know increasingly given larger and larger budgets to purchase military grade equipment? Yeah. Or. Um, or it's also a matter of what kind of roles do police actually serve? 
you know, when people think of police, it's not really that, um, it's not really what you see in the movies, you know, dealing with drugs or, um, you know, fighting against this, you know, this hard crime kind of stuff. Yeah. But in reality, it's a lot of it's, you know, dealing with uh, domestic disputes, dealing with mental health issues, mm. you know, dealing with these kinds of small community issues. Yeah. And it doesn't really make a lot of, and, you know, it makes more sense for these issues to be dealt with you know, the proper specialists and the proper people, you know, to go to the proper channels. You know, when someone calls 911 and they have a mental health emergency, they need, you know, mental health professionals. They don't need armed police. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, because I don't know, because we've seen recently um, Minneapolis was um, saying that they're going to disband their police um, and try and find a way to look at how the police, their police is running and try and change the way it, it wants to operate. And also I know San Francisco as well is wanting to redirect funding to African-American communities. I think it was about $100 million, I think, is the figure. Um, but I'll double check. I think it's because this was reported by the Mercury News. San Francisco, San Francisco leads a, uh, leaders aim to redirect funds from SFPD to African-American communities. So it's the fact that these questions are arising. It's... It's either like looking and investigating the police if it needs to be reformed or if it needs to, yeah, like the idea of defunding it. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions around that. Mm -hmm. Do you have well, a, It's already happened before. Um, yeah, do you want to do that? County New Jersey, they yeah. abolished their police department, I think, back in 2012. And what they've done is what they did essentially was um, started with a clean slate. They fired everyone and rehired their entire staff, started from scratch. And so instead of reforming their police culture, they essentially created a new one from the ground up. This new police force was larger, but had a greater uh, community orientation. So it was greater, you know, had greater, uh, so that means like police officers, you know, walking around in their communities, getting to know the people, um, having relationships with them, different local organizations in terms of businesses, mental health organizations, other community and civil services, you know, to make sure that they're integrated into the society, into the, the community that they're, yeah. they know the people they're, they're, they're with and they know what's going on rather than being some kind of um, outside force there to instill order. Mm -hmm. And it's has, and it's been really like for them, it was, they had some, very high um, crime rates beforehand, but now it's uh, dr cut dramatically. Uh, yeah, dramatically. So, like uh, homicides have gone down from sixty-seven to twenty um, in twenty twelve to twenty-five in twenty nineteen, and excessive force complaints went down from sixty-five to three in twenty nineteen. Hell, what? That is mad. That's a drop and a half. Yeah, and that's because because um, if you look at what kind of uh, training a lot of police officers have right now. Yeah. So this is the median training hours that for police recruits. So half of all police recruits spend about this around this much time or half of police recruits have this much time. And so they, on average, sorry, their mean training hours is 58. So half of all police officers, um, that's about the middle. Spend okay. 58 hours uh, training on firearms. 
Right. It's been 49 on defensive tactics, 40 on constitutional law, 24 on use of force scenario training, 16 in basic first aid, 10 in communication skills, 8 in use of force policy, 8 in de-escalation, 8 in crisis intervention, 8 in baton, 8 in electronic control weapon, and 6 in pepper spray. Wow. So this is the medium you just said? Yeah. Okay, so that's wow. Okay. So if you divided it all the group into half, into two equal halves, that would mm. be the middle point. The middle point. Interesting. So that means they spend about they they spend more time practicing with firearms than they do on communication skills, first aid, de-escalation and use of force policy. Mm. They spend more time training on their use of force than learning, you know, when to actually do it and how to de That's not good. Yeah, actually, that's not... Because mm. I thought, yeah, no, that's actually not even like... That's really not good. So the fact is, the police is... The police in the US example is being trained a lot too much on the side of aggression and force compared to, mm-hmm. yeah, what you're trying to say is more community-based because, yeah, no, 100%. Because I've been watching, you know, cases, you know, for, I watch... I think maybe you did as well, probably, you know, the George Floyd um, video, which is horrific. Um, I also watched what happened to David uh, McAtee. Um, I don't know if you know this uh, case about David McAtee. Well, tell me, tell us. Yeah, so I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell um, everyone who's listening. So basically it was in uh, Louisville um, in the same uh, same place, it was a few miles away from the death of Brianna Taylor where she was, there was no knock warrant for her. And then eight shots, they walked, They pretty much went into the apartment, shot um, in terms of self-defense because her boyfriend shot a few shots at the police or like a shot at the police. And then they shot, I think 20 shots, eight shots hit Brianna Taylor, right? So we, I think the news has covered that pretty well. But this case with David McCassie, this was a bit different. So it was about like at midnight, in a famous sort of gas station, pretty much, uh, in Louisville. And it was basically, in, and the state had employed a curfew order. So it was like 9 p.m. curfew order. Now, the National Guard and the police went there. They had to enforce it, which is fine, which I think they own absolute rights to do to enforce it. They kind of, let's just say, went in and weren't very peaceful. Let's just say that. And there was a video clip. I think, a, I think the Washington Post did an article on this. I think it's either the Washington Post or New York Times, one of, the, one of those two. They did a, pretty much showed a video of what happened. And pretty much, the, I think two officers saw this group outside David McCatty's uh, restaurant slash like drive-thru. They shot, pepper, I think, two pepper balls at the crowd, which they then dispersed. This was without any warning, by the way. So there was no procedures being followed where you're supposed to disperse the crowd non-violently. The crowd then runs into the restaurant and then two more fire, uh, pepper balls get shot. One pepper ball hits a bottle and one pepper ball almost hits uh, David Makati's niece's head, right? Bearing in mind, pepper balls are not supposed to be hit. They're not supposed to be aimed at someone, like in terms of body, or even aimed near someone's head. So just a bearing in mind that shouldn't have happened. So all of them are in the restaurant. 
at the time David uh, McKay has his gun in his like in his like side and he's allowed to use the gun in terms of self-defense he at the time did not know the police were coming right so then he shot a warning shot out into the out in, outside because he, he didn't aim anywhere he was just shot as a warning shot for them to back off very much then the police go back take cover switch to handguns and then I think it was two officers and two National Guard members shot him. One shot hit him in his chest. And then when their weapons like discharged, I think around 18 or 19 rounds had been fired apparently. So in that sense, yeah, and that kind of shows the fact like, well, you've been saying, John, how they've been too much, to, uh, been trained too much in terms of their um, violence and not much about this de-escalation. You know, and, that, and that's what I've been seeing so much in recent weeks for the U.S. police yeah. and also the U.K. as well. Um, yeah, that's that's. That was the whole thing with you know George Floyd. Is he paid with a counterfeit twenty dollar bill? Yeah. And then, you know, then you bring in police and you get all that. That's that's incredibly disproportionate. Incredibly, yeah, exactly. You no, know, you don't need to have armed people going around to do you know. If it's if policing is largely you know community issues, then you don't need armed people. That doesn't make people feel safe. Absolutely. I've gone around. You know, I I remember going around Paris and walking around, and just seeing their gendarme with their machine guns walking around, and that doesn't make me feel safe. But oh, completely. Absolutely. You know, it's like, and I'm like, and I'm a white person, so it's just like if you're wow. you know if if you're a person of color and you actually you know these police officers are more biased against you. I can only imagine how much worse and how, you know, how unsafe that can make people feel. Mm. And I, these, yeah. these and, and unsafe in their own communities. Yeah. I've kind of spoken to um, people as well um, of like color as well. Um, like I know one mate of mine who we're really good friends and he's spoken to me about times where he's been stopped and searched randomly by the police um, for no real apparent reason. One time he actually was going to a festival and the security guard stopped him thinking, I think he had drugs on him. Well, he said the security guard thought he had drugs on him, stopped and searched him, nothing, right? And then for some reason he wasn't allowed in to this festival. So it just, you know, it shows, you know, these tactics are of these kind of the way the police or the way security guards are trained isn't good. It really, really, really needs um, a massive rethink, 100%. Um, and then I think I want to just go into the next question then is like, what challenges does community policing have or policing in general? Yeah, well, in the case of Minneapolis, um, you know, they, you know, nine of their city councillors have said that they want to abolish their police department, but um, they're, they face a legal barrier in that their city charter so, you know, basically their city's constitution says that they have to fund um, the Minneapolis Police Department in proportion to the city's population. Really? Okay. So they, and the only way you can change the charter is either through public referendum or through unanimous consent of city councilors and the mayor. And the mayor has openly said that while he's, you know, he wants to reform the police, he's not in favor of its complete abolishment. Mm. So, and there's only, and so far it's only nine, nine of the 12 city councillors who have said, um, you know, they want to abolish it. So it might have to go to public referendum. Mm. And then, you know, there's all, and then, you know, then there's that matter of, um, you know, power dynamics is, you know, these, 
you know, how, um, you know, police are, are there and enforcing the law enforces this um, order for a certain group of people. And, yeah. and they still, and they still have, you know, all that power. So we need to make sure that these um, institute, these new institutions, one that we can, you know, resist the current institutions and two, make sure the new ones we create are accountable to the actual people. Mm, absolutely. Definitely. Um, that's the thing. Cause I think like, I understand what you just said about the, with Minneapolis is um, in terms of the charter. It's if it's, if you if we're able to allow these kind of changes to happen and also if it's goes through the vote and also i can definitely put my kind of uk example of it um i don't know if you've heard the case of stephen lawrence if you know about this case uh, tell us yeah sure um <laughs> lots of storytelling from me so um pretty much stephen lawrence was um a young 18 year old so young black like 18 year old man who was racially was, was killed in, in a racially motivated attack. Let's just say that. Um, and he was killed 27 years ago in London. I think this was when before, a few years before I was born. Um, and it was pretty much all over the news. And it really like got this whole kind of, um, this idea of like racism still exists in the UK pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much an investigation was ordered by the government into the death of him, pretty much. But then the, the investigation which they found found that you know the way um, the way it was handled with Stephen Lawrence um, suggested that pretty much the there was like married by like professional incompetence, there was institutional racism and a failure of leadership by senior officers. So the actual Met Police was branded having institu- having institutional institutional racism. So and I think it was like 1999, I believe. Um, they had to really create a complete reform of the UK police, um, which, you know, a lot of people were thinking, oh, it's going to be all good. But unfortunately, um, when I said earlier, it's the fact that, you know, things, uh, I think Stephen Lawrence's dad called Dr. Neville Lawrence still thinks there's institutional racism in the police, within the UK police, which is not good. You know, we mm-hmm. still have to question these, uh, these police forces, especially the way because I saw a clip on Twitter today of, I think, two, a, a couple, uh, both who were black, and for some reason they got stopped because they were driving a, a car, looked at a police officer, not even, no, not, not violently at all, and then they were then stopped when going into their driveway, which made no sense. So again, it's those questions of um, if the UK, I think the UK police is part of this issue as well. Maybe Canada is, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an expert on Canadian uh, Canadian issues, and maybe Canada is part of this as well. So it's like even if you put reforms in, it might not address all these issues. So that's why we might need wide reform. You know, so it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's um, well part of it. There's a lot of resistance from say police unions from you know making bringing accountability to police officers. You know, the officer who had um, you know who killed George Floyd. He he already had seventeen yeah. complaints against him, ridiculous. and he is already and he had already been involved in. Um, I think in yeah, I think he had been involved in three shootings. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so right. like, there's those issues. You know, police um, police unions, you know, protecting police officers under the guise of you know protecting jobs. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you have those kinds of institutional barriers, and there's also the there's also the on the the, uh, the aspect of the justice system. Mm-hmm. You know, the other half. You know, the last time you know Trump right now is bringing in um, uh, you know uh, national guard uh, service members under the insurrection act and the last time that was called on by the uh, the u.s president was in 1991 after some riots in california because a police um a police officer was acquitted by a jury for murdering a black man Mm. so like that's not like yeah there's the police officer issue as well but there's also the issue of the fact that you know he was tried by his peers and they acquitted him yeah so you also have those um those legal barriers like you get like police officers kill people and they get off you know they might they might even they might lose their job but they rarely you know they get off with a slap on the wrist yeah while in most common law jurisdictions killing a police officer is automatically first degree murder mm-hmm. yeah that like makes, it doesn't matter uh, like makes no sense they get don't they get anything and you automatically get the highest you know penalty of murder yeah. for killing a police officer regardless of circumstances i found um, a website i don't know i think it's policefinance.org um, which had a bunch of statistics um, and i think it said that between 2012 and 2019 that those who were involved in a a killing of a civilian i think it was it was un- unarmed or armed 99 percent of those um, had no charge of those police officers which is just it just shows your point the fact that there's no accountability for the police. Um, but even like in Minneapolis, for example, um, you know those officers who stood there saw George Floyd clearly in a in a in a, um, in a very bad state. Let's just say that um, they were supposed to jump in and say, "No, what you're doing to to him is bad." Right? There was a rule saying like they have to step in when a police officer's is abusing their power but then they didn't you know so it's like it's crazy yeah well because it's not about you know it's not just a matter of well there's a few bad eggs it's a it's a problem with the the institution itself and it's you know its foundation and its core and where you know what it was charged with doing from the very beginning and its relationship to the people it's supposed to be policing yeah people it's supposed to be serving and protecting mm. absolutely it's supposed to it's it's the way of um yeah it's, it's, it's like if it, if it was founded at the very beginning with an adversarial relationship where you know predicated on use of force then you know it's going to be very hard to get out of that culture especially when you can't get rid of the actual bad apples yeah so you need to find a way to kind of de- um trying to take out this this violent nature that well that's why camden just straight up just started from scratch yeah that's you know it was that what their point was to we can't reform police culture we we create a new one Mm. we'll start from scratch and we'll we'll start from the very beginning not from a, a relationship of antagonizing people of color and working class people but instead, working with the communities they're, they're policing to actually make sure they're protecting people and making sure that at the, very be- at the very core of policing is a sanctity of human life and dignity rather than the use of force. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. And maybe community policing has a way of trying to achieve what you've just said.
you know, a way to try and help um, to not to go away from violence and, you know, actually be there for the community, 100%. Because I think, I think community policing should definitely be looked into because I know parts of Europe have got these, um, have got this approach. So for example, Scotland has a long history of public slash police partnership and also in uh, Finland, uh, Helensky as well. So it's the fact is, I think we cannot, I think as a society, we cannot just sit here and look at the police and just, you know, act like these um, cases in the United States are some sort of normal. It's not, it's not normal. And the fact is you can't just, um, you can't just like, you know, you can't, um, what's the word? You can't just not change something and expect a different result. You have to change something. And I think definitely there needs to be a change. There needs to be an investigation. If it's defunding the police, if it's reforming the police, if it's changing the way the police works, I think, I think as a society, I think we do need to open our eyes up and actually, you know, find a way that will at least do something, you know, because we might as well try something and change it. You know, we might as well do something. Mm. Yeah, well, clearly what we're doing isn't working. So yeah, we might as well do new, something. We need something new. It's not mm. working. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm completely. Um, I just want to, yeah, I want to say like kind of lastly, kind of what is the future of policing, do you think? Well, it's either we go along for a more community-oriented approach, a policing that is, you know, in line with its people, or you know, some other kind or some other kind of, you know, maybe so, um, community armed self-defense yeah you know like a rotating armed neighborhood watch you know all these kinds of different models of you know self-policing and community policing or you know instead we see a continuation of what we have now you know Mm -hmm. the continued militarization and arming of police officers you know there are there's already um you know, planes flying over uh, Baltimore every day for like six hours, taking satellite images of the city. Yeah. What they call, you know, basically Google TiVo for Google Maps and let you rewind to see where things are happening so police officers can track crime. Yeah. Like, you know, just more of that 1984 Black Mirror, you know, Mm. technology, minority report, you know, it's just, how police is structured right now and what it's at its core, it can't go along and be peaceful and democratic. We can't, or it's, it's not going to be that way. Yeah. And giving and with their, and technology itself is, you know, is amoral, but it's going, but if it, you put it in the hands of immoral people, it'll be used immorally. Immorally. Definitely. No, hundred percent. I um, I'm actually gonna do a. Dis- I'm actually doing some research. So I'm doing a dissertation on the use. It's kind of around surveillance from the police enforcement. Um, on my thesis, actually. So I think I'm actually gonna be looking into this kind of subject a little bit more deeply. But yeah, I am. Sure, I think that'll be really interesting to actually look into. Um, you know, how these kind of comes about. But definitely, I think. Um, you know, we look at the police, I think it can go either way, 100%. I think, I do think that the way we've responded to George Floyd, the way we responded to the death of Breonna, uh, Breonna Taylor, the way we've responded to David McHattie, the way we've kind of 
pro like the people have like gone out and protest i think i am optimistic that i think reform and change will happen if that's with the police of course we cannot just stop there i generally think there also needs to be other changes as well like the prison system as well like we haven't even gone into the prison system yet like that's a whole another issue in itself with prison labor uh, the mass incarceration of, you know, African-Americans in the United States, like it's a whole host of other issues. Mm. So it's like... And all hand in hand. All hand, well, also, yeah, of course, all hand in hand. But, you know, it's like we can reform police 100%, but there's like even more other issues, you know, to, to try and reform. So, you know, very complex issue, but an issue that I think is worth addressing 100%. Mm. Do you have anything else to add to this conversation? No. No? Perfect. All right. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so let's go into our week signal then. Um, so my week signal for this week is volcanic glass spray that can kill mosquitoes. So very interesting. Um, so a study found a way to use volcanic glass in a mosquito spray that can kill mosquitoes who carry diseases like malaria. So malaria is a disease that annually kills around 400,000 people in Africa. Um, they try and find ways to kind of stop mosquitoes like biting and um, and spreading diseases like malaria. So, for example, like bed nets, indoor like sprays, um, things like that. However, it seems that over in recent years, mosquitoes have become a lot more resistant to these methods. Uh, so, for example, like sprays. Um, however, now researchers have tried to use volcanic glass material called perlite which is used in building materials and in gardens as a soil additive um, and they also tested an insects and an insecticide insecticide there we go created from uh, perlite called imagard wp which is applied to inter uh, inter walls and ceilings so that can use that material so then researchers kind of conducted four different tests to see the uh, the like the effectiveness of in, in regard WP. So there's like a hut. So they use kind of different types of huts. So it was a control study hut, which had no mosquito prevention spray. The second group had hut walls, which were coated with a common uh, pyroid, or like used in the spray, let's just say that. And then the third group had Imagard WP on the hut walls. And the last group had a mixture of Imagard WP and the common uh peripheroid um, and there's actually huge disparity in morality rates in mosquitoes so the hearts were actually treated the hearts that were treated with the imagard wp and without the pyrophoid showed morality rates greater than 80 percent up to five months after treatment and then 78 percent at six months whereas then when you compare that to a common um, pesticide the morality rates were around 40 to 45 percent over five months these rates dropping to 25% in six months. So it shows a huge disparity in um, the uh, morality rates with uh, mosquitoes by using this material in the spray. And yeah, it was, it's a really interesting week signal. It kind of shows that we can use diff a different material to actually kill more mosquitoes and, you know, better protect um, ourselves, you know, especially in uh, countries that have an issue like malaria. So, yeah. Uh, John, what do you think about this week's signal? Yeah, it's good that we have um, better ways to kill mosquitoes, especially as uh, climate change you know, warms up. Mm. Mosquitoes 
further north and south. So um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you get you'll get more mosquitoes at different places. So um, it's good to have new ways of dealing with them. I am wondering though about you know it, it's good at killing mosquitoes, but how good is it at killing other things? It's, it says it's non toxic for mammals. Yes, but like, what about other insects? Like we want to because we need to make like we don't we want to kill mosquitoes, but we don't want to kill like bees or you know other yeah, pollinators. True, actually, yeah, I don't. That's a good question because yeah, that's the thing. In the same study, it said that it wasn't a. It's like non toxic to other like animals, but I agree with that in terms of does that affect other um, insects? Hundred percent. I think I definitely think there's probably going to be more research into that. Um, if it does affect other insects, but yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a definitely good, worthy question to ask. And I think to look into hundred percent. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a definitely good question. Cause that's another thing I was thinking about, like what would it affect other things? Definitely. And it, and also like it could affect us as well as human beings. If we use this spray, like even if it's yeah. non-toxic to like animals, if it, it could be toxic well, to us. Non-toxic to mammals and we are mammals, but yeah, it could have a could bad do. effect. You never know. Yeah. That's the thing. You never know. Like, But I assume it would be better than, you know, whatever kind of um, chemical pesticides we're we're putting on now. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Definitely. So, yeah. What's your weak signal, John, then? Uh, Mine is a, so it's a device that kind of like reads your thoughts in a weird way. Oh, I've I've seen this. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this on your um I saw this on yeah. the, um, so in 2018, um, researchers yeah. at MIT uh, created Alter Ego, which is a wearable device that can read um, your and a person's internal subvocalized monologue. So like when you're talk, like when you're speaking, when you're thinking in your mind, and you have like your little internal voice <laughs> talking, um, it actually produces almost undetectable muscle movements at, in the muscles you're actually as if you were actually talking. Right. Yeah. So, um, so this non-invasive device attaches to your face and jaw and uses electrodes to read these muscle signals. And it says it could um, transcribe your internal vocalizations with 92% accuracy. Oof, and then it can talk okay. back to you without the use of headphones through bone conduction. Because your ear, because yeah, if, I don't know if you've ever heard of bone conducting headphones, no. but like your eardrum is basically just a bone that vibrates against you know sound waves so uh, yeah okay. that's why you can like he- that's why like when you're underwater and you like you crack your knuckles or something you can hear that really well very clearly underwater but everything else is really muffled because mm, it's conducting through your bones and you hear and it's through that so you can have a um a speaker base or a, uh, like headphones basically that will play music for you when you hear it through it's vibrate the vibration of your bones. Mm. So this is a so it's the means that you can have this thing uh, talk back to you. Yeah. So it's like primarily designed as a as a hands free and private means for interacting with computers. But like if you push this further, um, it could be really interesting. Like imagine that you could like discreetly issue commands to like Google or Siri without having like talk to people. Or like be out, you know, be that one guy who's like, "Hey Siri, whatever," yeah, out in public. Exactly. Or you combined it with like, you know, other wearable devices, and it can talk back to you. Well, that's kind of basically technology-enabled telepathy, mm. which could be, you know, really cool. 
and it can help people who, you know, have um, difficulty speaking for whatever reason. It can help them talk if you pair it up with um, a speech synthesizer as well. Absolutely. Yeah, completely. So um, it can really change um, like our relationship um, to AI, especially if it's like something you can talk to in private, you can kind of, um, you know, have like a second nature with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that does sound very, very interesting. Um, in fact, yeah, 100%, especially with people who um, can't speak, um, if they have a certain difficulty in that sense, yeah, 100% would help that. Um, I was also thinking, like, I just thought about this issue, though. Not, 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 not really an issue, but, like, you know how, would this be a way of, I don't know, like, let's say, um, I don't know, um, you know, if, like, police, like, detectives want to find something out through a suspect, could that be used in that way? Or maybe, or am I saying rubbish? Well, it doesn't, like, it doesn't read your thoughts in the way that it can, like, access your things. It only... It's only when you're like actively having that internal monologue, like it can't like access your memories or anything, but unless you're like actively thinking about, you know, okay, once access to your, like, you know, your phone pin, well, unless you're like constantly thinking in your head, you know, don't think one, two, three, don't think one, two, three, four, don't think one, two, three, four, don't think one, two, three, four. Yeah. You know, they can just put it on and you can be, you know, singing zippity doodah. Of course yeah, yeah yeah okay fair enough because that was the thing i was i was kind of wondering like if that could be used for that way but okay that's fair enough because yeah i was just thinking of like a black mirror episode um i don't know which i think it was like i think it's like white christmas i think it is i don't know if you've seen this episode um but yeah that was, I was the one where they basically entrap the the guy's consciousness in a thing for like and seal them away yeah, for pretty much. a thousand years, like a thousand like years, that. and fast yeah, forward it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that I was thinking that in my head, but probably not the same thing. Yeah, not quite. This is not just quite. this is just getting out your little internal vocalization, not your entire consciousness. Of course not. Yeah, no, I would be crazy if it could. But yeah, no, interesting. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Cool, 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 cool. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Any weeks ago? No, I'm all right. Perfect. All right. Nice. Uh, thank you, John, uh, for having this conversation then. Uh, well, with your weak signal, my weak signal, and also this conversation about uh, policing. I think we'll definitely see in the next couple of weeks, uh, maybe even a couple of months, maybe a couple of years, this whole discussion still happening about the future of policing. Um, if we go towards community-based aspects or if policing still staying the same, but um, yeah, no, really, really interesting conversation about policing. Um, definitely like check out resources about policing because I think that I definitely recommend because I've, I've been looking into a lot of things about policing and it's, yeah, it's interesting. It does open your kind of eyes up to a lot of things. So yeah, no, other than that, other than that uh, thank you for, uh, guys for listening uh, to this uh, podcast. Um, you can check, out, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts um, as well and also Anchor. Um, and yeah, and then yeah, tune in till next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.